one day, I'll never forget, it was like 3.13 in the afternoon, and I'm getting ready to do my WCBS radio update at 3.15, and my agent called me, and he said, how would you like to move to Bristol, Connecticut? And like I said before, man, it's um, it's still kind of a – it gives me goosebumps. It was a, it was a, it was a life-changing moment in every way. This is the Give Me a Sense podcast. Here's Mike Yale. Legitimately, absolutely thrilled for today's guest. He is uh, a friend of mine. And and look, the the podcast is all about stories. And a quick story before I introduce our next guest. When you get hired at ESPN, typically people aren't from Bristol, Connecticut. So you're, you're usually moving from all different parts of the country and you land in sort of this remote location that you're probably not all that familiar with in northern Connecticut. And you have to figure it all out. And as a guy that was hired, and I actually have to think back, I guess I was 26, 27 when I was hired, maybe it was 27 when I was hired at ESPN. I was living uh, you know, in northern New Jersey, just outside of New York City. I was hanging out. I went to college in New York, so I was still able to see all my roommates. And then I, I head to ESPN, and that is a, that's a hard adjustment, especially when you don't have family that's really close in the area. Your friends are still a couple hours away. And, you know, a lot of times you're just trying to figure it all out. And today's guest was by far the biggest reason why my transition at ESPN was as smooth as it was, not only on the professional side, but also on a personal side. So Kevin Connors, who you can catch on SportsCenter, uh, usually doing the 11 o'clock. I feel like uh, now that I live on the West Coast, every time I turn it on, he is uh, ready on set and just kind of doing his thing and rocking and rolling. But you can watch Kev on ESPN, typically on SportsCenter. Uh, Kev, it is great to have you on the show. This is way overdue, dude. You you were on the short list, and then all of a sudden some family stuff on, on both our sides. We couldn't coordinate schedules, so I am thrilled to get you on the show now. Yammer, it's, it, the thrill is mine, man. And I told you before we came on that probably in addition to your folks, I'm, I, I think I have to be the only one that's listened to every single podcast. I, I love the podcast, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And uh, It's great to finally be on. I'm honored. Well, it was a thrill because I happened to be on the East Coast on vacation. I was at a beach house with my cousins and my nieces and nephews, and I got a text message saying that uh, a, a soundbite from the podcast when Chinea Gumake came on was going to be on Sports Center. And then I texted you to find out who was doing it, and you told me you were, and then you got the highlight, and you sold it better than I ever could have asked for on the show. So I, I was I was like jumping up and down. I, I've done Sports Center and was more excited to see you give love to the podcast on it look all i ask for is a pair of bose headphones for 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 doing that all right (laughs) i'm glad you mentioned that because your your episode might surpass mike leach's episode as maybe the most listened to because uh as you made reference to we've been pumping this up for the last month the bose headphones it is a number between one and 64 and what i'm gonna do kev is i'm gonna do all those listeners a little dirty now end of the podcast you will pick a number and decide who is going to be taking home a brand new pair of those qc 35 headphones but i i made reference to to doing sports center being an espn anchor your path is Look, we've had Deuces Rogers, one of our good friends on. Mike Hill came on the show. Tony Reale was on the show. And everyone has a story about how they landed at ESPN. And there's a grind and uh, all the things that take place in order to to find yourself at, at essentially what's the pinnacle of sports television like you have. But yet I think your story is as unique as anyone's because it epitomizes what that grind truly is. How How do you, in your words, land at ESPN? 
I'm glad you used the word unique because I thought you were going to say pathetic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> never, never. You know, you know, listen, I mean, as you know, Mike, and uh, for, for the listeners who don't, in, in TV, I mean, there is no blueprint. Right. Like in some businesses, you become an entry level position and then you become a, a junior executive and then you become an executive and senior and then senior VP, et cetera. There is no blueprint in the TV industry. I mean, I've heard just about every story. But if there is a sort of general blueprint, it's you get a job, you jump from market 400 in local news to market. 100. And then from from Albany, New York, you jump to Boston and then from Boston to Philly and then from Philly, to whatever the path is, there's generally like a progression. Well, for me, uh, and, and by the way, I should add that usually the first job can be the toughest. For me, I had my first job secured when I was a senior in college at Ithaca College because a very, very good friend of mine, his family owned a TV station in the Hudson Valley of New York that had bureaus in Connecticut, New Jersey. They were looking for a sports reporter. I said, perfect, that's me. Brian Kenny was the sports director at the time. Wow. I got the gig. I was working as the sports reporter in Piscataway, New Jersey, making $17,500. And I started the job three days after I graduated from Ithaca College. And I was living in New Jersey uh, immediately. So I got that gig and about, about a year into my tenure there, uh, Brian got the call to ESPN. So, um, in a short amount of time thereafter, I was elevated to sports director at this station. So here I am at, at 23, 24 years old and I'm the sports director of an independent cable station in the Hudson Valley of New York. So things are going well. And then I turned 25 and 26 and 27 and 28, and I'm sending out VHS tape after VHS tape, one of the recent podcasts, you were talking with someone who was, who was. I think you were joking around. Does anyone even know what a VHS tape is anymore? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I sent out Yammer. I mean, it must have been between 300 and 400 tapes, and I'm not exaggerating. Um, I was at the post office every week, and wow. it was financially setting me back a little bit, and and I just could not get a bite. Nothing. Uh, wasn't even getting responses from most of the places. Forget, forget rejection letters. I didn't even hear from most places. And then a good buddy of mine, college roommate, Andrew Marshan, told me that Kevin Burkhart was going to be leaving WCBS radio doing afternoon drive updates to go to SNY and that I should, I should send my tape in there. And I hadn't even entertained radio. And long story long, I guess, the, uh, the news director at WCBS-TV, who I had met at some awards dinners over the years, Put in a good word for me. I got the gig at WCBS. There I was about about three months later, that same TV news director said to me, how would you like to do weekend mornings? And I thought, six months ago, I couldn't get a call back from Cheyenne, Wyoming. And now here I am in New York City at, at WCBS TV Channel 2. Do I want to do it? Yes. So it was a fantastic opportunity. And from there, that part-time TV gig dried up. I was back to square one doing my radio, which was great. The people there were all phenomenal, but I wanted to do TV. And then lo and behold, one day, my agent at the time sent my tape into ESPN. I auditioned, interviewed, and I got the job. All right, I want to ask you about the audition process at ESPN and see if it was similar to mine. But let me circle back. So you're doing mornings, CBS. What about the radio? So if you're doing them simultaneously, are you doing the, the radio stuff at night? 
I'm so glad you asked me that because, you know, there's, there's, there are very few things that I will brag about. Um, and some might say because there are very few things that you can brag about, Kev. But uh, <laughs> there are very few things that I will brag about. But my work ethic is one. I, I was doing – so I did the afternoon drive radio updates. So from, from uh, noon until 7 o'clock at night, Monday through Friday, I did 90-second updates at 15 and 45 past the hour. So then when the TV opportunity came along, they wanted to know if I could do Saturday and Sunday morning. And I jumped at it. Whatever you need. Tony Reale said the best thing you can say in this business is yes. And he's 100% right. They came to me and said, do you want to do it? I said yes. So then it became Monday through Friday with the radio, Saturday morning, Sunday morning doing TV. Then it became, would you be able to do Saturday night, 6 p.m., Sunday, uh, excuse me, Saturday night, 6 p.m., Saturday night, 11 p.m. in addition to Saturday morning, Sunday morning. Oh, God. I said, you got, look, you know what? You got to get me a hotel, but the answer is yes. So I would get into New York City at, at 3 in the morning on Saturday morning. From 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., we're on TV. I'm doing my sports updates. I'd go into the hotel, sleep for about three hours, walk right back down the street to WCBS, do the 6 p.m., 11 p.m. newscast, walk back down the street to the hotel, take a nap, come back 3 a.m. Sunday morning and do 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. again. And it was, and I did it for a year, literally for a year. I don't, I must've had five off days for a 365 day cycle, but I knew that I had to do it. The opportunity was too good. And fortunately it paid off. And you don't get that job at ESPN without those reps and without being in New York, correct? There's no question about it. No, no one would have looked at me uh, as, as strong as WCBS radio is. But my previous job, RNN TV, it gave me the foundation for who I am as a broadcaster. But no one would have looked at my resume at that point and said, let's take a look at this guy. It's because I had that number one TV media market experience that I got the interview at ESPN. There's no question. Now, you and I have we're, – we're good friends. We spend a ton of years together at ESPN, and I also know that you are I, – I I'm going to go on record and say you're probably the best athlete of all the ESPN anchors, and I don't actually even <laughs> think it's all that close. Um, you know, we, we played, obviously, softball together for, for a couple of years there. That was, uh, that was more than fun. And, there, and for those who don't know, ESPN has, like, a, a league that is – how many – Kev, what, 12 teams, you think, in the league? The, Sadly, the numbers have dwindled, but yeah, at its peak, it was it was twelve in softball. We had you know we had twelve in flag football. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's you're hundred percent right. Basketball is intense. I mean, it is it's intense, and people take it too seriously, seriously in many yeah. instances. Yeah, yeah. Well, my my flag football was short lived because uh, coming off of the softball season, which was. I mean, no, no, that was like no joke. I mean, that was we took it really seriously for those years. But but Kev was was one of the key ingredients to our team. The anchors had, um, you know, we had our own team. We had some other people that that weren't on air, but still made their presence felt. Um, the reason why I bring this up, and by the way, the flag football thing, I had a back injury at the end of softball season. When you get speared in flag football after a while, I'm just and it's cold. <laughs> thinking to myself, you know what I. I don't know if this is for me, but um, but the point is, I bring up the athletic thing because at Ithaca, you played basketball there. Um, you were on the basketball team. So even now in my position at, at Pac-12 Network, we have so many student athletes that want to be on air. At what point, I mean, did you know, like, this is the path when you're in college? Because you're playing ball, and I think a lot of people who play uh 
college athletics think to themselves, especially in a sport, like, hey, how can I continue to do this? And then other people are like, look, this is a college deal for me. I'm going to use this uh, to my advantage and, and obviously like this lifestyle and enjoy this lifestyle, but I got to figure out what I'm going to do. So it, was sports always something that, that was on the mind? Oh, there's no doubt. I, I, I identified in high school uh, that, I, that I wanted to, to study um, communications. I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I knew that I, sports has been my passion my entire life. And so I knew that I wanted, hey, can I make a career out of this? Are you kidding me? Well, I know I can't play professionally, but wait, I can talk about it and have my ego stroked by being a big TV star. Little did I know that the second part of that equation wasn't necessarily how it goes. Doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, but the first part was, and so so I identified pretty early on, and um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to play Division One, and uh, but there were plenty in the state of New York, I mean, plenty of Division Three programs, and as it turns out, I kind of recruited Ithaca College at first because you know obviously they don't have the recruiting budgets to go out and see everybody so uh again we go back to vhs tape i sent a vhs tape of one of my games um to the coaches there and they liked it and they they came down and saw one of my games and they were really interested and um i would never have been able to afford to go to ithaca college without the financial package they gave me and so i was very blessed that i that i had the ability to play college basketball and that ithaca had such a great communication school and it was it was a perfect marriage, and you know, basketball did not go the way that I thought it would or wanted it to. But in the end, it turned out to be uh, the perfect place for me. You still quarterback in the uh, flag football team? I'm retired, Jammer. I'm 41, man. I got the, I got the gray hair, and I got a 21 month old baby upstairs. So those days are over. Are you not playing softball either? Softball, I am. Yeah, let's not go crazy. Okay. Yeah, just just okay. the football. I was. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Just wanted to double check and make sure. And, and once again, I mean, remember that first year we played? I mean, that legitimately, I mean, statistics were, I couldn't get over. I actually was worried, Kev, that I was going to be that guy, like the guy that took it too seriously. And I think in some instances, yeah, maybe we, we had those moments, but I, I, it wasn't like that. I mean, I wasn't, I was like leaning the everyone gets a trophy. I mean, that's how competitive it was, which is kind of absurd, but it was well, fun. Well, the first, the first time I got the stats, uh, the stat spreadsheet and wins above replacement was on there for our softball team. I said, wait a minute, what have, what have we gotten ourselves into here? Uh, but, dude, it, it was, it's awesome. And you know what? It is so cool that we take it so seriously. Again, some people go over the top. A lot of people go over the top. But uh, I love it. It's, it's the last thing I have to be competitive in, so I'm going to hang on to it for as long as I can. Yeah, yeah, no, especially without the flag football deal. All right, uh, you made reference to seventeen thousand dollars is what you're making, uh, you know, in those first couple of years there. I think that's a really important note because people think TV star, hey, you guys are making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, in some cases, you know, some some TV people are making, you know, a million or more. What? That that's just not reality when you first start in the business. So how do you make? How do you survive off of seventeen k? Oof. I mean, it was not easy, you know? I mean... And by um, the way, Kev, what year is that? This is 1997. So, so 97 you know, is 17K. I, I legitimately, I mean, I, I've, I've, I help out a lot of people that are just kind of getting out of school and, you know, send me their stuff. And, and a lot of times they get these jobs, but it's not much more than that now. I mean, it's 2016 and, and people, they're paying like in the 20s for those first it, jobs. It's crazy, but you know... But when you're passionate about it, Yammer, as you know, you, you find a way to make it work. You know, I mean, listen, I, I lived in uh, 
my the first place that I lived in for a few months, I was living with some Rutgers University students. Um, I was driving a, a Geo Prism that had like 100,000 miles and a scorched uh, hood of the car. I mean, you know, you and listen, they're, they're, you're, you're not you're not a chick magnet when you're driving around in a Geo Prism with 100K. Um, but you know what? I guess the, the the next line that I used was, "Hey, you ever seen me on TV?" And that you know that kind of it kind of evens the playing field a little bit. But um, yeah, you find a way to find a way to make it work. And um, but here's what you don't do, and this is so important. I, I think that a lot of people. Um, who are in the industry can relate, and people who aren't may be surprised. You know, you don't go on the vacations that your friends go on often. Um, you don't go to a lot of weddings. You miss out on a lot of family events because you're working weekends. I, I finally, I, I've been a Buffalo Bills fan my entire life, and I had never been to a Bills game until the Thursday night game, week two of this season against the Jets. My brother and I just said we're going to go. And people up there who I'm fortunate to have a nice – uh, Bill's following on Twitter, people were saying to me, I can't believe you've never been to a Bill's game before. How is that? I said, well, number one, I grew up on Long Island, so Buffalo's not around the corner. And then I thought yeah. long and hard about it. And I said, you know, you know why I've never made it up? Because we work weekends in this industry almost all the time. And I just never had the chance, especially during football season. It's so popular to be on on the weekend. I just never had the chance. So fortunately, I was able to do that. But, there, you know, listen, no one's going to feel sorry for the guy who's on ESPN talking about how, how tough the life is. But I will tell, and I don't expect anyone to, but I will tell you this. There are a lot of sacrifices that we make in this industry uh, because you have to because it's so competitive. I, this is year, we just started year five at Pac-12 Network, and I missed, I've missed one Saturday. And I still remember the details around it, to your point. It was my best friend from kindergarten, his wedding. And when he got engaged, he got engaged here in San Francisco uh, on vacation with his now lovely wife. And I remember thinking to myself, please don't get married during the school year. Please don't get married during the school year. Because I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to miss a football Saturday because I knew I was going to be in the wedding. I was his best man. And there's like, to your point, Kev, like you just missed so much. I didn't miss that one. And at that point it was, you know, four years in and I hadn't missed one. I literally hadn't missed one shift. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, I can miss one, but it, it's tough, man. On the family side, you had weddings, birthdays, holidays. I mean, how many times did, I don't think we actually did this together, but I, I remember cause we didn't do a show together, but my four years at ESPN, Every year, Thanksgiving, I was eating with whoever I was working with in the cafeteria. I mean, that's that's what it was. It's a given, and you know what? Uh, it's it's been something. You know, my wife uh, was a an internationally competitive figure skater. I mean, you want to talk about someone who sacrificed? Uh, but but when we met, she just didn't understand. And you know, at, at that point, I'd been in the business for you know thirteen years, I think. Um, and so for me, it was. It was second nature, you know. Yeah, Thanksgiving, I, I can eat with the family, but then I have to go into work. Or I have to go into work, and we got to push dinner back to 8 o'clock because that's when I can eat. Um, for me, it was – that's just what you do. It's second nature. For her and, – and it is still an adjustment uh, for Emily in a lot of ways. And fortunately, she's she, – I, I couldn't ask for uh, a better wife to understand these things. But, yeah, it's an adjustment when you miss when you miss Christmas or you have to – open the presents in the afternoon because they need you to work Christmas morning. It's, yeah. it's tough. And again, I'm the most blessed guy going. I mean, I've got a dream job and I love it and everyone has sacrifices in their professions, but, but these are real ones that you and I have. 
You also touched on, you mentioned, hey, I was able to get an audition at ESPN. What's your, what was your audition like? Because I'm curious if it was similar to the one that I had. So I drove up, they, they got a hotel for me the night before. Let's say that I interviewed on a Tuesday morning. Uh, so I drove up to ESPN on Monday night, checked into the hotel. What, what's that drive like? It's, you, you want to know what the, here's the truth, Mike. Um, I had sent out so many tapes and I had so many years of experience and I really felt like I belonged. I, I did the job at RNN. I did the job at WCBS radio and TV. I was at SNY for a while doing sports center like shows. Um, I was as experienced as I could possibly be and as confident um, as I could be at that point. And, but more than that, it was, it's like, it's like when, uh, it's like when Morgan Freeman goes before the parole board in Shawshank Redemption at the end of the movie. And he basically says, you know what? I don't care if you parole me or not. I, I know that I, I know that I'm a rehabilitated guy. I sat in front of people and I, my, my, my attitude was basically, I don't care if you hire me or not. I know I belong here. Of course I didn't say that, but that was my thinking. You know, I, I know I knew that I had done everything to put myself in a position to belong at a place like ESPN. It, it just came down to, were they willing to give me the opportunity? And thank God they were because it changed my life in every single way. So you're heading up there feeling pretty confident then on that drive. I was, I was because yeah. I knew, I, you know, listen, my first job, uh, we had technical problems throughout the course of every single show. I, I had the chance to do sports news. I reported, I did sideline reporting for army football. I did an hour long documentary. I edited my own stuff, produced my own stuff, filmed my own stuff with the camera. There, there weren't going to be any curveballs that they could throw me that I hadn't seen before. So it's, it wasn't a cockiness. It was, it was a confidence in that I belong here. And I think at some point in everyone's career, you have to have that. And, and for me, so the drive up was that. And then of course you get nervous when you walk into the building. I still get, you know, I still look around on campus when I walk around on ESPN and say, man, this is ESPN. You could have people right now watching you in Spokane, Washington and Tallahassee, Florida, and in the Caribbean or Europe, anywhere in the world that is watching the show that I'm about to do. And, you know, that, that's a feeling that to me, I've still never kind of lost that boyish, aw shucks, man, I'm here. Um, so when, when you arrive on campus the first time, of course, you, you feel nervous. And I did my audition in the, the old Sports Center studio. I mean, it wasn't in the ESPN News studio. I mean, this was, you get set on the set, and you're by yourself, and the camera light is on, and it's go time. And I did my, I handled my audition well, and the interviews went well, and I felt really good. And then a month goes by, six weeks go by, two months go by, and I didn't hear anything. It's radio silence. And I'm thinking, come on, you got to be kidding me. I, I think I did pretty well here. And then fortunately, um, one day, I'll never forget, it was like 3.13 in the afternoon, and I'm getting ready to do my WCBS radio update at 3.15. And my agent called me, and he said, how would you like to move to Bristol, Connecticut? And... Like I said before, man, it's um, it's still kind of a it gives me goosebumps. It was a, it was a it was a life changing moment in every way. It's crazy, man. You know, it's I hear your you know, and you mentioned being on the Sports Center set and doing all those things. Like I feel like we must have talked about our auditions 
it's so crazy how the mindset's different because you're obviously a few years older than I am. And you're like, I started in, in a lot of ways, your, your background, of course, yeah, you were doing radio stuff, but you still had all this experience on the TV side. So you were feeling so confident heading in there. And I remember my drive, Kev, I was like through the roof nervous, but I, at least I was familiar with the campus because I was working ESPN radio uh, for a couple of years freelance. So I would drive up. So I was kind of familiar with some things, but I, I remember being very, very, very nervous for it. And you, I, I actually couldn't go on the Sports Center set for my audition. They had me on the old baseball tonight set. So some people probably don't even I mean, we might have some really young listeners who don't even remember that set because that's like four sets ago. I don't even think they use that at this point. Um, but I remember do you like going into makeup. I had never had someone do my makeup for me. And at that point, Robert Flores was in there. They had just started the morning sports center. So Chris McKendry was working with Flores at that time. But you go in there and, and Kev, the thing that you didn't mention, I don't know. I'm assuming it was the same for you. I had three interviews early and it started at, at maybe 830 a.m. with Al Jaffe. So you go into his office and then you do a couple interviews. Then they take you into the newsroom. You you basically do a couple, you know, prep two blocks of TV, essentially. And then you take you out on to go to get makeup, go to the set, do the audition, lunch meeting. And then it, it's like eight, it's an eight, eight, eight and a half hour day. Is that, was that the same for you? It was, you know, I had, um, I had Al's uh, right-hand man at the time, Fred Brown, uh, walk me around campus. And it was funny. He was showing me all around and I, I, and it felt like I was in a corn maze. I mean, I just, you know, dizzying. The place is, is so big and we're going upstairs and in elevators and down hallways. And I'm thinking to myself, who can ever figure out how to get around this place? Um, but, but so we did, he gave me a little bit of the tour of the campus. And then I went right into the newsroom and he introduced me to the producer, uh, who, uh, who was going to be doing the audition. And, um, it was Jeff Ross still to this day. You know, I, yeah. I thank Jeff for making it uh, a smooth, uh, a smooth show for me. And again, we did like an A block of the show, you know, where we would do an on camera and a highlight and toss the sound and then come back out and do a graphic and you're on camera again. And I think I threw a, one or two catchphrases in there and I, you know, I just had fun with it, but Michael, I would be willing to bet you that although you were nervous and I was nervous too, I'm not trying to say that I wasn't. Um, but I would be willing to bet that deep down you were confident in your abilities because you applied yourself over the years and, and you know sports and you're passionate about it. And that, that, to me, that's more than half the battle. Am I, am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you watch sports center the night before in the hotel? You know, I, I, I don't, I don't think I did, but again, I hope I'm not coming off as sounding arrogant here. No, I'm, I'm not at all. I think it was more like get a good night's sleep and be ready to go. Um, and and be confident because I listen. It was like I did an NBA highlight, and uh, let me see. It was in February when I auditioned, so it would have been a lot of basketball stuff, and I felt pretty good about that. And um, look, we live this life. You know, when I go home, when I come home from work, chances are I'm watching sports. So it's not like it's not like it's a job; it's a passion. And so I felt pretty good about what we'd be talking about. And um, yeah, it's on the sports center set, but I, I just, I had, I had had so many rejections and so many, um, not even hearing back from people that I just felt like, you know what, lay it all out there. And if it's not good enough, you're not going to feel like you didn't do everything in your power to get this. I had, mine must've been a Tuesday. Cause I remember watching the Monday night game in the hotel and then watching sports center, wondering if I was going to get that same highlight the next day. 
Sure enough, I did. And it's funny, you mentioned your producer. Uh, Lem was my guy. And every time I worked with Lem, I thanked him every single time. I was like, dude, he was my guy. Made it smooth for me. Because that could make or break. Can you imagine getting a producer that that wasn't strong? Or was like just chatty chatty in your ear while you're trying to go? Oh, God. Well, right. I mean, and you hope, listen, you hope, your hope going into it is that that these people understand the magnitude of the moment for you. But the reality is, and you and I know this, the reality is doing these auditions is like the last thing they want to be doing. So they they want to get it over with and get out of there. And that's human nature too. But uh, you're right. Fortunately, uh, we both had had good people. And again, um, you know, it was, it's been fantastic. It's not to say that, it's not to say that ESPN is, is without its flaws because it is like any place and, and no job goes perfectly, but, when there are still times where I stop and think, Kev, you are an ESPN Sports Center anchor. They, they entrust you with going on the air each night to do the most popular sports television show in the history of broadcast television. Yeah, that that's a powerful thing. And believe me, there are there are not too many times where I don't take that very very seriously. You mentioned people all over the country are, are watching. I, we were doing our training camp tour in August and I'm checking into a hotel. God only knows what city I was in at that point because it was a bunch of different cities in a, in a very short period of time. And I, I'm checking in and I look over and the bar area is there and, I'm, and I just happen to look up and I see you. And I, I think I even texted you the picture. I took a picture of it because it's still cool for me to, you know, because we don't get to talk all that often. And, you know, there's a few text messages that fly back and forth. And hopefully I can get you to laugh a couple times at some of the things that I send you. But it's always still cool for me to see you on that set and, and really thriving because we got to work together a, a ton when we were at ESPN. And I'm curious from your perspective, how did you how do you think like. How do you navigate that system? Because you're right. I mean, that's essentially what you did. You started. I remember watching you on ESPN News when I was still living in New Jersey and I was working at NBA TV and working at Sirius. And then I got up there and then obviously you and I became buds. But you you start on ESPN News and now all of a sudden you're you're pretty regular on the 11 o'clock sports center, which, by the way, people I, I think it's also important for people to understand this, like not every sports center is is the same. There are some coveted sports center slots. The 11 is one of them. I think the one uh, in a lot of ways, the six, and they're all Eastern times, which by the way, by that, that's such an East coast bias now. I mean, come on, dude, like <laughs> let's, let's mix it up a little bit for the West coast folks. Cause now I'm on this side of the country, but you, you typically land on one of the higher profile sports centers. So how do you, how do you navigate that system to get there? By the way, I was going to say spoken like a true San Franciscan yammer. I mean, you've really <laughs> exactly. you've changed. You, you, have, you have left your roots behind, man. Um, there's and, no snow and, too in, in San Francisco. I'm, you'll be shoveling out of it in a couple, uh, couple months, maybe even a couple weeks. Cause they remember that Halloween that it snowed. They canceled Halloween in Connecticut cause of snow. Oh, do I? That was my I, last you know, I was year out, there. I, I had spent the week out in LA doing sports center. And when I came back, I mean, the place was like a winter wonderland. So, um, but you know, to go back to what you said about, about, um, when you see people that, you know, on TV, I feel the same way about you. You know, when we have, when I have a Pac-12 game on in the, in the newsroom and I see you on, it's cool. You know, when, when I, when I'm not at work, if I go home to Long Island to visit my family and we go out and I, I see someone on in a restaurant, it's a set that I may have been on 24 hours before. I still think it's cool. Hey, look, there's coach or whoever it is. So to me, it's still, um, it's still surreal in many ways. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that. As far as navigating your way, yeah, man, you know, 
the best way that I can describe it is that it's a shark tank. Um, you have a lot of highly successful, highly motivated, highly talented people who are all competing for a small number of spots. And like you said, you know, the 11 o'clock sports center is more coveted than some others. And, um, and it's tough. You know, you have to, you have to be good at what you do. You have to work hard. You've got to have relationships with consequential people within the building. Um, you've got to be at it for a while. I've been at ESPN now for over eight years. That's the longest I've ever been in any job. And I think that's a long time. And I might walk down the hallway and see Chris Berman and Bob Lee and Carl Ravitch, and between them, they've got 100 years of experience at ESPN. So eight years isn't that long. Um, but it's, it's, it's very difficult. It's led to many sleepless nights, um, many frustrating times, as you and I have shared, and then many rewarding times. And, you know, for me, I'm really proud of some of the things that I have been very, very fortunate to get to do at ESPN because I know how hard I've worked and I know how much it means to me. So, um, but it is very, very difficult. Uh, it's, it's not just getting to ESPN. It's then navigating your way through ESPN. And, um, over the course of eight years, man, we've, we, you and I, we've both seen a lot of different, uh, a lot of different ups and downs. That's for sure. What's the, you know, Mike Hill, who's one of our good buddies, he came on the podcast a while back and Deuces Rogers, another one of our, our close friends, he, he came on. The four of us had all, we've all done shows together and those two guys no longer at ESPN. Obviously, Deuces is in Philly. Mike's at FS1. Uh, I'm here at, at Pac-12 and you're, you're at ESPN. And yet everyone has one of those moments and they, they've told theirs about what it's like that kind of like, uh, not necessarily that you've made it, but just sort of like, wow, I work here. What's what's your, uh, this is actually my life now moment at ESPN? I, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to give you three answers, right? So if you can't nice, tell already, like I'm, long, I'm long-winded, so I apologize. But I'll, I'll give no, you three. One, one, of them is, one of them is, wow, I'm at ESPN. It was, um, this is a few years ago when I'm doing, um, when I'm doing mornings and we had, I get into work that morning and they say, we're going to have Bob Knight on the, on the show this morning. Okay. So, so there's a lot of thoughts that go through your mind. Number one, is this a legendary coach? Number two, let's hope he's in a good mood. Let's hope we catch him on the one day a year that he's in a good mood. And um, so what, anyway, lo and behold, we do the interview and it goes, you know, he's an intimidating guy, but at the end, end of it, he, he says uh, that went well. And I mean, you know, this, that's like a papal blessing at that point. You can't get any better from Bob Knight. So we do the interview and we're leaving the studio and we're walking around a corner and we nearly bump into Jerry Rice. So he, it's me, Bob Knight and Jerry Rice. And I'm thinking, where else on the planet Earth would this happen? That Bob Knight almost bumps into Jerry Rice. And I see it. Um, so that was one of those surreal you're not in Kansas anymore moments, Kev. Um, does my, Bob try to like push Jerry and does Jerry try to give him the straight arm as, as they're, they're walking <laughs> by <laughs> night went low to tackle him. No, I mean, it was just, you know, look, you're, 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 you're more than a fly on the wall to a conversation between arguably the greatest college basketball coach and arguably the greatest football player ever. Yeah. I, that's a powerful thing. I mean, you know, that that's one of the. You, you, there comes a point in time where when you when you work with a lot of these people, after a while, they become friends of yours more than just 
so-and-so the star athlete. But let me tell you, at that, at that moment, I was kind of starstruck because here are two absolute icons. Um, so there's that. The, the, the proudest moment for me was when I got the call and I, I knew I was going to get uh, – I was given the job at ESPN. And I, I drove home to my, uh, to my parents' place on Long Island, and um, we went out to dinner, and I hadn't told them. At, I didn't tell them before I came out, and I didn't tell them at dinner. And I was – I sat them down, and I told them, and it was um, – you know, I mean, it, it's – it's a powerful moment for me still to this day. It was, you're telling your two biggest fans and the two people who, um, you know, are as influential in your life as anybody that you've made it, your dream has come true. So I'll, I'll never forget that. That That's probably my proudest moment. What and was the their reaction? Moment, oh, I mean, you know, uh, tears. I mean, just, just joy. You know, now that I'm a parent, I can't even imagine, um, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like to see your child uh, live their dream. And, and Mike, they knew, they knew literally better than anybody. My brothers, Bill and Chris and my mom and dad up until that point, just what a struggle it had been for me. And, um, and all the rejection and all the the missed opportunities and things like that. So, so to, to have that and to tell them they were, yeah, they were, you know, as you would expect, really emotional. And it was, uh, it's probably my proudest moment to this day to be able to tell them that, that I, I made it. You know, uh, you, I would imagine it's, it, it's probably very similar to a guy who gets a call up in pro sports, you know? Yeah. What, what, when you're, when you get the call initially, I think you said you were, were you already at work at that point? Yeah. It was two minutes before my update. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So, re- so I, cause I remember my call vividly. I remember my exact reaction at what point, like, what's your sell? You can't sell. I mean, right, you're two minutes before you're about to do a hit, or you're about to walk into the building. Like, what? Or two minutes before your update, what? What's the celebration like inside? Or do you sort of jump out of the building real quick and and give a yell? I mean, is, do you have that Jerry Maguire moment? Oh, I mean, you know, I'm I'm trying to contain it because I know I go on in in about a hundred seconds with an update, and you know, I'm I'm tr- I don't I don't remember what the circumstances were. I hope that like Secretariat hadn't died that day or something because I probably didn't deliver that line as in as somber a way as I should have because I was on cloud nine, you know. And um, and and don't misunderstand me. The people at WCBS uh, 880 were probably the best people um, that I've had a chance to work with, and they just you know genuine, warm, really good people. So it wasn't like I'm I'm finally getting out of here. It was more like I'm landing at this place that that is synonymous with sports and uh but yeah man i i couldn't have been more fired up there's no question all right so you're third so you got the bobby knight jerry rice you have this awesome moment with your folks who i can see just from from meeting them a few times just sort of how excited they must have been and, and obviously your brothers as well i can't even imagine what the reaction was from them but what, what was the third one you know it, it was um there, there were there were a couple so kind of like the best moment like I got to do play-by-play of a Syracuse basketball game from the Carrier Dome. I mean, here I was growing up. I went to Syracuse basketball camp every summer and played on the court that now I'm getting to broadcast a game on. I mean, it was, it was an unbelievable experience and you know, I'm what a big Syracuse fan I am. Um, And then, and then on the night of my five year anniversary at ESPN, I did the Sunday 11 PM sports center with Steve Levy, who to me is is as good as there is in studio, certainly on SportsCenter, uh, but but maybe across the board. 
And, and I remember thinking, oh, that's right, it's May 21st. And I remember taking a look across the desk and seeing Steve and just thinking like, man, I am one lucky SOB because I think the world of Steve um, on air and off. And uh, it, was, it was a kind of a pinch yourself moment. What makes Steve so good? Because I, I, I'm always fascinated what other anchors take away from other people's performances. Because I think from an outsider's perspective, you know, you know this, Kev. I mean, how many times have you been hit up on Twitter and told that you that you suck? I know that happens to me on, on sometimes as well. But but there's so much. It's, people can be so critical, and even you know the media experts, so to speak, who who write about this stuff. I would love for them to actually sit in a show meeting understand what it takes to do these shows and and who's good at what and what the strengths are what people have to navigate whether it's traffic from producers or technical issues or working through shot sheet mistakes i mean what it really takes to to really sell a product so i'm curious for me because you mentioned steve and i agree with you i think steve's excellent on air so from your perspective what makes him so good yeah and 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 it's a lot of like taste you know so a lot of people felt Stuart scott was the best and I did one show with Stu, one sports center, and it was, um, you know, you're working alongside a rock star. He's not just famous because he's on TV. He is a superstar. Um, so a lot of people liked him because of, of the way that he appealed to the younger audience, some of the hip expressions that he had, the way that he said things, um, the language that he spoke, if you will. So, that, so a lot of people love Stuart. A lot of people love Chris Berman. Uh, for for the nicknames, you know, a lot of people love whomever it is. For me, I think Steve is the best because he gives me the news in a straightforward way, but he can have fun with it. He's a very talented writer. He's extremely uh, uh, confident. His delivery is great. He's got a great voice. He's got a great look. To me, he's um, he he gives he gives me my sports news the way that I want it delivered, and uh, so I. I you know, for those reasons, I think he's the best. Kev, I think, you know, I started this show and I was asking you about your path, which I think is amazing. I appreciate you sharing a lot of this um, with, with the folks that are listening right now. You you touched on the struggle, right? Because you said, hey, my mom and dad and my brothers, they knew what it was like for me to get this job. And, and so all those rejections, what you tell me? Three, 400 VHS tapes that you would send out. I mean, it's actually costing you money to not even hear back from people. What's what's the low point? What's that point where you say, hey, I, I don't know, man, maybe this just isn't for me? There were a lot of them. You know, I was working, I was living up in Kingston, New York, and uh, the the independent cable station that I'm working at, um, the family moved the the the, the station down to uh, Westchester County, and so now I've got a I'm living 90 minutes away. I'm commuting to and from work, 90 minutes in my eighth year at a place that was great for me for the time that I was there, but I, I had outgrown it. I mean, really, I had outgrown it. So here I'm commuting 90 minutes to work each day. I'm not making a lot of money. I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm not hearing back from people. That's tough. And and you have a lot of, you know, you say, am I, am I doing the right thing? Have, have I sacrificed all these years? At that point, it was eight years. Um, am I, am I making the right decision here? Is it time to move on to something else? I felt the same way when I was working at WCBS TV and I had, I had done everything they asked me to do for a year and then the freelance opportunities dry up. And so here I am back doing radio. Um, again, not, not necessarily doing what I want to do. 
wondering if, again, at, at 33, 34 years old, did I make the right decision by staying with this, or did I just lose 12 years of my professional life? So there have definitely been some some low points where you question, did I make the right decision by doing this? And then, of course, the high points far outweigh them. You know, I, I, I'm trying to think back now to specifics. I could have given you hundreds when I was in the moment living with the frustration, and now that I've had the opportunity to be at ESPN, they're, they're not as harsh as I once remember them. But the high points certainly outweigh the low points, but there definitely were a lot of low points. It, it, was there a legitimate conversation with someone or even yourself where you say, all right, I'm, I'm going to give this up and I'm going to go and do something else? Do you even, did you have that? Did you know what you would, would go and do if you weren't broadcasting? See, I'm not smart like you because I, I didn't. I don't. What would Plan B be? I, I don't even know what it would have been. I, I did. Uh, I, I can remember sitting in, in the studio uh, at at Shadow Broadcasting where I did my updates for WCBS a lot of the time, and I remember thinking like, well, what else would you do? And I didn't have any sort of like a finance background, so I couldn't get into that. Um, I really didn't know what else I would do because from the time that I was in high school, I knew I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. When I went, when I was at Ithaca College, I took classes, but I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't pay attention as closely uh, to many of the classes because I knew my experience would be when I got in front of the microphone at the radio station or the TV station. Um, I just knew that deep in my heart, this is always what I wanted to do. So it was quite scary when I said, "Well, what what does Plan B look like?" Uh, and fortunately. Up until this point, I'm 41. I haven't had to look into it um, because because this would be a very different podcast, Mike, if if I ever had to go down that road. Kev, what about um, when you when you're doing SportsCenter? Because people, you know, have asked me like, oh, you know, that the job itself is cool. I mean, it is the coolest job. I can't imagine doing something else. I know you you feel the same exact way, but it's not what everyone thinks. You know, there's some things that happen behind the scenes or even when you're on set that, and you think to yourself, man, if people who are watching knew that this was taking place, that just, it would blow their mind. What's, what's happening that people don't know about when they're watching SportsCenter and they're seeing you on air? You mean the camera operators having a louder conversation between themselves than you are broadcasting? Uh, <laughs> How many times were we on set and all of a sudden you just hear someone in the background? You're like, dude, I'm trying to like figure something out here, work through this highlight, and I hear you. You have to be coming through on my mic. And it never did because no one would ever say anything. But yes, yes, that, that does happen. Yeah, it's like, hey, do you mind if I deliver this obit without being interrupted by your conversation? Um <laughs> Yeah, you know, some of that stuff can happen or, you know, we, we are very, very fortunate. You and I have talked, uh, you know, about um, the, the level of entry-level employees that we have at ESPN, and so many of them are truly some of the best, youngest and brightest that there are in the industry. But then you get some who run teleprompter for you who've either never done it before or don't want to do it or don't care to do it. Um, and uh, so that can be a challenge. And I, I always tell our, our prompter people, you, this may be the least interesting job for you, but trust me when I tell Vitally you, it's important. one of the most important to us. Yeah. yeah. So, look, I mean, that stuff happens, and um, and I guess we're we're better and stronger for it. Here, here's the problem, Mike. You and I are too nice to say anything about it, too, because there are a lot of other people that would undress these people and rip them apart and have them fired. And you and I just kind of endure it. I don't know if that means we're nice or dumb, but whatever it is, we're that. You, how many... 
I mean, I don't want to call anyone out, but I we both have been on set where I've done a double take at the other person said, did you just say that? Like, did that just happen? Are you kidding me? I just it's it's kind of crazy. Can I throw one story your way? And I, I want to yeah. see if you can top it. I have a buddy. Um, I don't want to say who it is, but you worked with this person. I worked with this person as well. And there would be words with friends being played while the show was going on. And it was, it was kind, I mean, it was funny. It was funny. And I'm curious if, if you'd ever worked with someone who, who clearly was doing something else. This buddy isn't me, is it? Cause I, I think no, I've been no, no. that myself. <laughs> I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've talked to this person maybe somewhat recently too. Um, that's a, that's a very good question. Uh, and I think I know who you're talking about. Um, you know, I don't know that let's put, I'm sure that that's happened. The ones that stand out to me more are, and again, we won't get into names, but I know, I know, you know, who I'm about to talk about. Um, when I first started at ESPN, there was someone who let's just say, wasn't exactly the warmest to me. Um, and it, and it, it, it came through on air. So here, and just imagine for, for, the, for the listeners, just imagine this. You've got your dream job and you're ready to lasso the world and you couldn't be more fired up about being in a place. And you're sitting across the desk from someone who is making it tougher on you and they're not letting you in and, and, and she's being difficult. Um, that's tough. And you're on national TV and you know, she's probably thinking, this guy took my buddy's job, whatever it is. Who, who knows what the agenda was? But um, yeah, that, that certainly wasn't easy. That, that took a little while to get used to thinking, is everyone like this? You know, or, or why, who would ever try to be difficult with you as a co-anchor on air? But uh, those kind of stand out more, um, more than the words with friends one. Not that that's any, not that that's any less of an egregious mistake. I actually remember uh, you. T- I know exactly who you're talking about, and <laughs> I don't think that person's working anymore. I think you're right. I, I yeah. You're right. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. Maybe there's there's a reason for that. So I actually remember going out with you. Uh, maybe it was it had to have been r- closely after that that experience. And I remember having dinner with you, and and I couldn't get over it because I had actually never worked with that person uh, as well. Uh, Kev, I know you are. You mentioned being a sports fan. Um, Syracuse, you made reference to. I actually, you did that play by play. You had that gig when I was still there, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and you've been able to do some more play-by-play. It, I feel like I'm always seeing you on SportsCenter. Have you been on the road at all to do some of that stuff? You know, not not recently. I haven't done any play-by-play recently. I've gotten to do some FIBA games, but we do that in Bristol looking at our monitor uh, with Fran Frischilla, and those have been just fabulous opportunities um, uh, where it's, it's, it's allowed me, you know, we'll have like a, a Finland-Croatia game, but with the game being so universal now, you know, there, there are players who are on Croatia or Serbia or, uh, uh, you know, you name it, um, where these guys are coming over and playing in the NBA. And, and it's helped me, frankly, it's helped me know how to pronounce their names, have a little bit of a backstory about those guys. So uh, that's probably that's probably the last play-by-play that I've done. But, yeah, I've, I've done some college basketball. I got to do the WNBA playoffs, which when I was uh, when I was asked about that opportunity – I said, you know, I was honest. I said this will be this will be the first time that I've watched an entire WNBA game. 
but it was a it was a fantastic experience because uh, the the players couldn't have been more helpful. My my uh, analyst and sideline reporter were both outstanding. So um, all positive experiences. And again, it goes back to what Tony Reale said in his podcast about saying yes, because um, that's the only way you ever know. Uh, I, I said yes to that opportunity, and I wound up loving it. And even if I didn't love it, I would have known that I didn't love it because I experienced it. So um, they're they're all they're all beneficial in this industry, in my opinion. Can I? I'm going to throw a moment that I know you had that. I'm almost surprised you didn't make reference to as one of the highlights, and I'm sure because there's been so many of them, but getting to go out of the country covering a basketball game, it was you, Jay Billis, if I'm not mistaken. Was Jay Williams maybe on that trip as well? Yeah, um, yeah. I'm trying to think who else might have been there with you, but that's got to be Dan. pretty – that's a thrill, right? I mean, you're sitting there. Was, you didn't call that game, but you were doing sort of uh, – you were doing the halftime. I'm sure you did pregame hits and even postgame hits for SportsCenter. We did it. We did a half-hour pregame show, and then we did halftime. Uh, so the first the first trip that I got to go it was, uh, like you said, it was me, Jay Williams, Jay Billis, Dan Shulman, Andy Katz, and I got to go to uh, Pyeongtaek, South Korea. Uh, just an incredible opportunity, a place that I would otherwise have never gone to, um, but it was a fantastic experience. Oregon played. Georgetown. Here's yep. a great story for you. We, here's the here's you know you know the Hoya paranoia that they used to talk about. Well, here is the paranoia of Georgetown basketball. We're in Pyeongtaek, South Korea, and Georgetown's having a a practice uh, a day or two before the game, and they're taping newspapers on the window so that people aren't inside looking at their plays. Like anyone in South wow. Korea is trying to intercept plays that Georgetown's setting up. But anyway. Uh, and then the next year we went to, um, we went to, uh, Puerto Rico. Um, and then last year we went to Japan uh, and then this year I got screwed out of going to Hawaii. So, uh, but anyway, the first three years were fantastic experiences. <laughs> Uh, well, make make another trip out to the West Coast and stop by in San Francisco. Uh, Kev, I cannot thank you enough for for stopping by with us. And, and uh, before we let you get going, I know a lot of people have been uh, kind of writing the reviews, subscribing to the podcast uh, for a chance to win these Bose headphones. So uh, at last check, I'm just pulling it up on my phone right now. There are 64 uh, reviews for the podcast, and I can't thank everyone for taking the time to to go and writing uh, those reviews. So the way the rules work, and I know you've been listening, it's one through sixty four. Kev, you pick a number, and I'm sending out a pair of Bose headphones to uh, to one lucky person. Well, my favorite Buffalo Bill of all time is is Bruce Smith, and he's number seventy eight. So I can't go with that, obviously. Okay. So my so second bad, bad job Buffalo... by the listeners for not uh, writing more reviews. Okay. Hey man, if, if if fourteen more of you did it, you'd, you'd have a pair of Bose headphones. Yep, um, yep. My second favorite Buffalo Bill is Mark Kelso, so he wore number thirty-eight. So I'll go oh. number thirty-eight. Number thirty-eight. All right, I got to scroll through here to find out who uh, number thirty-eight is, and uh, it's someone named Steve. So I will figure that out. So if you are Steve, number thirty-eight, you can hit me up on Twitter at Mike underscore Yab. You can also hit me up on Facebook as well. The page is just Mike Yab and. 
and uh, we can start doing a little DM process and, and I can get the address and send it over to you. So uh, Kev going with number 38. So one lucky winner there. By the way, there are more headphones to give out. I haven't decided yet how I'm going to uh, to play this out. But once again, can't thank everyone for for uh, writing those reviews, subscribing and, and rating the, the podcast. Kev, um, I, I mean this uh, from the bottom of my heart, man. And I know I started the show saying that you were a big reason why the transition for me at ESPN was uh, as easy as it was. So I, I can't tell you how much I value uh, not only your time today, but but also your friendship, man. You have been nothing but spectacular to me um, since we met. Our, our desks were before we, we made it big time and got our own cubicles. Uh, <laughs> our desks were right next to each other, and you had to stare at my mug uh, on a frequent basis. So I apologize for that. But uh, but seriously, man, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and, and sharing some of these stories. Well, I mean, and honestly, Mike, I, I hope that this went okay because because I do truly listen to the podcast every single one of them and uh it's an honor to be on and it's an honor to be your friend man we had you um i was so fortunate you made time to come to our wedding and um same for same for you man you you were my best bud when we were at espn together and uh i feel like in a lot of ways you know when when you're in the trenches with someone like that that's kind of a friendship that that's forever so um keep doing what you're doing i'm so proud of you and uh, uh it's been an awesome opportunity to be on with you man Feel the same way. And I'm mad because I actually thought at your wedding, I traveled the furthest and one of Emily's friends was like in Japan or something. So I was like, that's kind of cheap. Like that's like, you kind of ruined, you kind of ruined the cachet that I had, but your dad was still thrilled that I was able to, uh, to make it and fly cross country. I wouldn't have missed that, uh, that your wedding for the world. So, uh, Kev, thanks again, man. I, I can't thank you enough and, and really looking forward to seeing you in person real soon. You're the best jammer. Same here, man. I can't thank Kev enough for for coming on the show and sharing his story. Really just a a great path, uh, as resilient a person as I have ever met. Uh, You know, I've told Kev this, at least in our conversations. It's, I don't know if I had to do what he did and that's consistently get rejected 300, 400 tapes, whatever it was. I mean, I sent out, I think it was close to 70 uh, tapes, but three to 400, I don't know if I would have been able to to last. But his resiliency, you can see, I mean, the guy goes from making $17,000 a year to now being one of the faces of, uh, of SportsCenter. It's a, it's a great story. Uh, so really appreciate him sharing it. And at least for me, selfishly doing this show, it is, it's kind of cool. Like Kev, I get to, you know, we text every once in a while and, and we'll hop on the phone every couple weeks weeks and just talk for about 15, 20 minutes. And that's what happens when you have a young, uh, a young daughter like Kev does, doesn't have as much time, but, um, you know, just even getting to talk to Deuces Rogers a few weeks back, I get to talk to a lot of my buds and kind of learn some stuff. I mean, there's some things that Kev talked about and Deuces talked about, Mike Hill talked about, even Tony Reale, where you just, I don't, I didn't even know some of those things. So hopefully you guys are enjoying this show. Uh, continue to, to let your friends know about it. You can retweet me at Mike underscore Yam if you like the show, just to kind of pass it along. Uh, continue to rate subscribe and review the podcast. I know we still have these Bose headphones. Uh, I got a couple more to give away. I promise uh, I will figure out how I'm going to do the next uh, sort of contest. Not exactly sure how it's going to all play out, but I'm thinking too, with a little time that passes by, not the worst thing in the world. Not like anyone wants to think about Christmas or the holidays, but this would be a fantastic holiday gift. So I think what I'm going to do is maybe hold off for a few weeks while I figure out how I want to give out these headphones. And then as we creep a little bit closer to November and then obviously early December, we'll give out uh, a couple more pairs. So once again, thank you so much for listening and downloading and make sure you continue to tell your friends about the Give Me a Sense podcast.